anytime. It's not my text line. Like you're you're not getting that number. As much as I like you, you're not getting that number. But the number here is 615-737-1045. That's 737-1045. I want to talk some combine tonight, some Joe Burrow tonight, some television money tonight. A lot of stuff going on. But we start right where we started the last couple of days on this program. Latest Tom Brady updates. Nothing has changed, but here is really what I have, you know, I've read article after article. I've read it in Boston. I've read it in Los Angeles. I've read it in Florida. I've read updates from all of these various places, these various suitors for Tom Brady's services. And here is what I have been able to compile. My crack staff of researchers, that being me, what I've been able to put together out of all of these updates over this last handful of days, don't nobody know squat. I mean, I told you last week what I think is going to happen because I've said the exact same thing for quite some time. But I don't know any more than anybody else does. I know that his representation met with some teams. I know what I think makes the most sense for him, but that's really the only evidence I have that he's going to stay there. I haven't seen him play anywhere else before. But it's clear he's either trying to leverage or get negotiation or he's actually listening. And the one thing that you can say about this situation, and this is actually similar to the Rooney rule, which I don't think is necessarily a good thing in the way that it's employed. I think the idea behind it is good. Rooney role meaning before you hire a head coach, you have to interview a minority as well. Even if you have no intention of hiring that person, you know exactly who you're going to hire, you still interview that person. Here's the value in that. Sometimes you meet somebody who was never on your radar, who then you can pass over to other teams at least, even if you're still going to hire the guy you're going to hire and say, hey, this guy, you might want to keep an eye on this guy. It gets them out there. It gets their name out there. It gets them you know, through the process of how it is to interview with an NFL team to be a head coach. It can lay the foundation. It can set the stage. Anytime you have an opportunity to sell yourself, you never know what might be able to happen. I'm not saying that you can walk up to Quentin Tarantino and say, I'm a pretty good actor. You've never heard of me. I've never starred in any movies before, but I think you should make me the lead in your next big-budget motion picture. I don't think that's going to work out for you, especially if you bring your script treatment to him while he's at dinner. But within reason, relatively speaking, if you have some level of clout within whatever it is that you do, you do have an opportunity to sell yourself every time you speak to somebody. Yeah, the old head and shoulders commercial, you only get you know one chance to make a first impression. That's true, but... You might also have a bunch of other impressions you can make later on. Maybe it's not the first one, but we do evolve. We do grow. The way I felt about you the day I met you might not be the way I feel about you today. And thank goodness for that. But the fact that Brady's representatives are meeting with other teams means they are getting an opportunity to try and sell themselves to him. But we know basically the schools of thought as it relates to what he's going to do. One, he's going to stay put. Two, he is going to go elsewhere, and he's going to do it based on weaponry, which would seem to indicate the Titans and the Chargers probably have the best opportunity to land him. The Chargers can also offer the, or they can also even play the desperation card 
if they have to, just in terms of they haven't been relevant for such a long period of time, even when they won games, that they would offer anything they possibly could because Tom Brady would make them the most important story in the NFL. People would care more about what Brady did post-Patriots than anything else that was happening in the NFL, at least up until the playoffs when you have to start paying attention to the teams that might win the Super Bowl, whether he's in it or not. There's that opportunity. The retirement opportunity is out the window. He's going to play somewhere. The question is, where is he going to play? One piece of information that was revealed today that I thought was kind of shocking is, but here's the thing. We are in the season of lies. Tomorrow, I'm going to talk to you more about the NFL season of lies and why you're hearing all the lying. And there's one reason that it makes all the sense of the world that you're hearing much of the chatter that you're hearing from front offices and what teams are going to do and who's going to be their quarterback this coming season before we get to a draft, before we get to free agency, before moves can be made. We'll save that, and we'll talk about it tomorrow. But the season of lies has many, many facets. And when it comes to Tom Brady, and when it comes to the New England Patriots, you still want to be a part of that if you can be a part of it. I'm not talking about for Tom Brady. I'm talking about for anybody else. So when two people come out that are close to Antonio Brown and say that he and Tom Brady have been in constant communication and Brady has basically said, hey, wherever I go, I want you to go with me. Whether it's New England or otherwise, I want you to be a receiver on my team next year. And there were reports that he and AB really hit it off well during his short time in New England. Of course they did. Tom Brady knows how good Antonio Brown is, and Antonio Brown ain't going to disrespect Tom Brady. He might even find a way to disrespect Ben Roethlisberger before he knew what he actually had when he went out to Oakland and when everything started to spiral out of control in his own mind. But he's not going to do that to Tom Brady. It couldn't be a better situation than to have Tom Brady as his quarterback right now. He's not going to Kansas City to play with Mahomes. There are some other landing spots, but it looked like the Saints brought him in with no intention of actually doing anything there. So going to New England or wherever Tom Brady goes and going with him as a package deal, that would make things even more appetizing. I think if that were to be the case, Brady's definitely not coming to Tennessee because I don't for a second believe Antonio Brown would be here. Not that that's a true thing. That's the deal. The season of lies also means that these two sources close to Antonio Brown, even if that's what AB told them, might be... Speaking from below the equator, and by that I mean out of their rear ends, out of their keisters. But that's just another interesting wrinkle here. On one side, you've got Jeff Darlington. He's definitely leaving. Then you've got Ben Volan, and you've got some of the old guard of the NFL saying he's not going anywhere. If you look at situationally, I mean, I think Brady Quinn, of all people, in the last couple of days came out and said, why not go to the Saints? I know Drew Brees said he's going to come back, but... Maybe the Saints would rather have Brady for less money. Brady's not going to cost a ton of money. Not compared to some of these other quarterbacks. What Dak Prescott is asking, for example, Brady would come in for much cheaper than that. I think the last figure that I saw speculated about, the scuttlebutt is somewhere around 30 mil, which I know that sounds like a lot, but it's really not. Not at all, as a matter of fact. So, It all continues. For two days, I had you guys call me and tell me whether or not you wanted him here in Nashville. I think the consensus, for the most part, is you do. And some people still really like Ryan Tannehill. 
And there's a good reason for that. One, he's a lot younger. And two, the question that I asked and basically said rhetorically, like I didn't need your opinion on this because the question kind of was the answer is how much better do you think the team would have been with Tom Brady in all the games that Ryan Tannehill played? Maybe a little bit, but Tannehill wasn't the reason you were losing football games. Does Tannehill, or pardon me, does Tom Brady instead of Tannehill beat the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC title game? I would say absolutely not. I didn't think anybody was beating Patrick Mahomes. I mean, Brady wouldn't have been out there on defense when Mahomes went down the left side near the end of the first half and effectively ended that game with his legs on that rushing touchdown. Brady wouldn't have made Derrick Henry any better. Derrick Henry was great. The Chiefs did a nice job in the AFC title game against him. But when you look at it, yeah, Tannehill didn't throw for 100 yards in the first two playoff games, but maybe I mean, maybe Brady does a little bit more than that, but that wasn't the game plan in the postseason either. didn't seem to me like Tannehill was failing. It just seemed to me they weren't calling his number quite as often, not because they didn't trust him, but because they were riding their horse. They were riding the NFL rushing champion. They don't get to the postseason without what Tannehill did. They don't advance in the postseason without what Derrick Henry did. And that's not to say that Derrick Henry wasn't effective in the regular season and Tannehill was a total scrub in the playoffs. I'm just looking at it from which was the bigger piece of the pie that got them there and then what was the bigger piece of the pie that kept them winning when it was a one-and-done situation when we got into the playoffs. But if you look to it and you say, well, we've got to have Tom Brady – I I don't disagree. If he's available, I think you go for him because I think either way you're looking at a two, three-year max. I'd say three-year max for Tannehill, and Brady is done playing football in two years is my prediction. If it goes really poorly this year, wherever he ends up, I think it'll be New England. So that's why one of the reasons I think he won't just be one year. But if it goes badly where he goes, I could see him hanging it up after a year. I don't think it would go badly where he goes because he's going to be able to pick his spot. He's not going to a reclamation project. All the teams that are here are teams that won a decent amount of games that maybe you think could be taken up just a notch, just a notch or two, by including Tom Brady in the proceedings, by putting him on the roster in place of the quarterback that's currently there. How much better does Tom Brady make the Colts? Probably probably substantially over Brissett, even though I think Brissett is pretty good. But I would look at somebody like a Bridgewater or something like that if I was the Colts as opposed to Brady, especially with the vitriol Colts fans have always felt towards Tom Brady because of the Peyton Manning rivalry. Would he make a big difference for the Chargers? Yes. I don't know that he'd make a big difference compared to what Phillip Rivers was two years ago, but last year, absolutely. Rivers looks like the old man, and Tom Brady is an old man but doesn't look his age in terms of how he's playing on the field when he has weaponry. And here, just like in Tennessee, we talk about the weapons he's got here. He's got the NFL rushing champion. He's got A.J. Brown. He's got a lot that you like. He's got Bayard. He's got some some defensive players to build around, a general manager that seems to have a great brain on his shoulders and a coach with balls and intelligence. But if you go to the Chargers, Melvin Gordon's not a scrub. Keenan Allen is a beast. They've got Bosa. They've got Derwin James. They've got a ton of things that you like out there. They don't have the familiarity in the front office and on the sidelines with the head coach. Nowhere near what Brady would experience with Vrabel first and certainly with John Robinson. But if you're looking at a team that's ready-made, the Chargers seem to have that. Plus, they have that allure of Tom 
you can be our savior because no one's ever cared about our franchise. We're not much, especially now that we've moved here. We're going to get a new building and we're going to try to do things the right way, but you're the thing that could take us over the top. Maybe his ego would want to hear that. It certainly might, but the pieces appear to be in place out there. But let me tell you why I wouldn't go to the Chargers if I was Tom Brady. The fact that in the same division, Patrick Mahomes currently plays football for the Chiefs. The West is going to run through Kansas City for a decade. I'm a Denver Broncos fan. That hurts me to say, and I I like what I saw from Drew Locke in limited action, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they try to do to build around him. But the AFC, not just the West, but the conference is going to run through Kansas City for the next decade. So the longer I could wait before I have to deal with them, the better. If you go to the Chargers, you face Patrick Mahomes twice potentially having to face him a third time if you're able to squeeze in as a wild card because I don't even think a Tom Brady-led Chargers team would win the AFC West over a Mahomes-led Kansas City Chiefs team. With all things equal and with all the pieces that we expect to be in both places, I don't see it. And I also don't think Tom Brady sees it. And if he's going to win, he should go where it's going to be an easier path, which is also why I say he stays exactly where he is. The South's going to be a little bit tougher at least. Then the East, with all due respect to Josh Allen and the Bills, maybe Miami gets Tua, and that makes it a little less appetizing to play in the same division if he stays healthy, and the Jets, maybe they improve as well. But the one place that you don't want to go is in Patrick Mahomes' division. You already have to play in his conference, but try to delay him ending your season or keeping you out of the playoffs for as long as possible because he's going to win the division pretty much every year. Unless he gets hurt, that's how good he is. So the latest is nobody knows anything and they're all speculating, including me. But that A-B wrinkle is fascinating. Eventually, this thing's actually going to have an ending. But his reps met with four teams in Indianapolis and they were able to make whatever case they were able to make. And now the onus is on the Patriots who haven't had a chance to meet with him. There are writers saying, well, it's a terrible thing that they haven't had a meeting yet and tried to hammer anything out with Brady. They've already said they're waiting for the CBA. Same author that says they're waiting for the CBA turns around and says it's a bad thing that they haven't sat down and met. Which one is true? The reason they haven't sat down and met is because they're waiting for the CBA to either go yay or go nay so that they know what a deal might look like for Tom Brady. The same writer, the same people saying that are now saying, ooh, it's it's a bad thing that they have not met. Again, it's the season of lies. It's the season of speculation. It's all the, also the season of overreaction. When you come back, the thing that matters, but not as much as people tend to make it out to be, because we all love shiny things. I'll tell you what that is. Coming out of the NFL Combine, when we come back, this is the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Zone. Welcome back. Big six, one Oh four, five, the zone. I'm Jason Martin. We're brought to you by renters warehouse. They are dedicated to making renting your home easy. They're going to make it fast. They're going to make it worry free renters warehouse. You can't buy happiness, but thanks to them, you can rent it. You can find me on Twitter at Jmart zone. I want to give you a list. It's a list of 11 guys. 
11 wide receivers. In order. I'm not going to tell you why I'm giving him, giving these particular guys to you in this order until afterwards. But just listen to him. Michael Thomas, Julio Jones, Chris Godwin, Devontae Parker, Keenan Allen, Kenny Galladay, Amari Cooper, DJ Moore, Jarvis Landry, DeAndre Hopkins, and Cooper Cup. You probably knew all of them if you listened to 104.5 Zone, or certainly you knew a high percentage of them. So why did I give you that particular list? Why was A.J. Brown not in it, for example? Why did I pick those guys? I picked them because of their stats. Those were the top 11 in total yards in 2019, wideouts with the total number of receiving yards. Michael Thomas, Julio Jones, Chris Godwin, Devontae Parker, Keenan Allen, Kenny Galladay, Amari Cooper, DJ Moore, Jarvis Landry, DeAndre Hopkins, and Cooper Cup. Cool. Everybody loves lists, but why am I telling you this? Folks, we love shiny things. We love shiny objects. We see gold in a cave or something shimmering in a cave, we're probably going to walk over to it and hope there's not like a giant snake that's going to attack us when we get there. The shiny thing at the combine is the 40. There are some things that will always separate us from our wallets. One of them is watching two dudes fight, especially if there's a personal issue involved. Another one is who's the fastest man alive? What is the prime event at the Olympics? It's probably the 100-meter dash. Like, yeah, we might think it's swimming, but that's because we're good at swimming. We hear about it a lot. When Michael Phelps dominates the way that he does, when Katie Ledecky dominates the way that she does, and it's not the swimming, doesn't matter. But the thing we care about most is how fast can this person run? It's just one of those things that captivates our attention, which is why the combine becomes such amazing entertainment when we sit down and watch these American superheroes, these people from this country that do things that we can't do something we can't, which is run really fast. The 11 guys that I mentioned total yards in 2019, those 11 guys were your leaders. The reason why I gave you that list and the reason why I just told you we love shiny things is because only one of those 11 guys that I just mentioned ran better than a 4-4-2 at any point in pre-draft workouts when they were entering the league. Only one, Julio Jones, a 4-3-4. Godwin Cooper and Moore ran a 4-4-2. Devontae Parker, a 4-4-5. Galladay, a 4-5. Hopkins, a 4-5-7. Landry, a 4-5-8. Cup, a 4-6-2. Keenan Allen, a 4-7-1. And Michael Thomas who was the number one wide receiver in the league a season ago in New Orleans, ran a 4.57. More than half the top 11 receivers in yards this past year ran a 4.5 or worse, including the top receiver in the sport. I am not here to say that running fast means nothing. I'm not at all, but John Ross has the best 40 time we've ever seen 
And that's what you know him for, is the 40 time he had in the combine. Nothing basically ever else that he's done on a football field. He's probably done a little bit, but you don't hear about him much. But you know he's really fast because you saw him run that in the combine. A 40 time does mean something, but it gets far too much attention because we love to watch it because we're captivated by it. We are relentlessly compelled by a human being's speed in a race. We just are. We love watching people book it. We just do. So we look at Tyreek Hill, and we look at Chris Johnson, and we marvel at how fast these guys are, and we wonder if they can outrace a cheetah or outrace a, I don't know, a car with nitrous in it. Being as fast as Tyreek Hill and Chris Johnson is not a bad thing. It's just not the only thing. That's my point here. Only one of the guys that I mentioned ran better than a 4-4-2. I think our view of this is skewed because we played so much video game football. And when you're recruiting in video game football, when I see some dude in high school that runs a 4-2-5, I'm going for him with everything I can even though his awareness is going to be like a 30 halfway. The awareness statistic on these games was always hilarious because if the computer controlled them, they would like look the other way. They would step onto a football field as if they had never seen one before because they just had no intelligence. But I know that if I go grab this dude that's a 4-2-5 and I control him, I can outrun everybody down the field, the quarterback can throw the ball, and I'll go make the play myself, even if he's trying to catch with fists because he doesn't know he actually has fingers. It skewed us into thinking the 40 was even more important, but the thing about it is, on an actual football field, I don't have a controller in my hand. I can't control these individuals. So just because you're fast doesn't necessarily mean you have great hands, doesn't necessarily mean... Your speed translates to good route running, which means you might overrun where the quarterback's expecting you to be, which makes you about as effective as I would be in that role. It's why much of this list doesn't change from year to year in terms of speed. We knew coming out of college, Michael Thomas wasn't going to be a track star. Four, five, seven, forty. If you think you can run a 540, you're wrong. I've talked to enough NFL players and people that have tried it. You can't. It's amazing if you can run under that. So I'm not saying these guys aren't athletic and aren't fast. But we think if you don't run a 4-4, like, ooh, that dude ran a 4-5. Ouch. Is he going to be a tight end? Is he going to be a linebacker? Is he going to be a defensive tackle? Who in the NFL has been better over the past few years outside of maybe DeAndre Hopkins? maybe Julio Jones than Michael Thomas has been. Now, Julio was fast, but Hopkins ran a 4.57 too. Both of them ran a 4.57, Hopkins and Michael Thomas. Hand size, catchability, awareness, route running, football IQ, all of this stuff. And What got me kind of looking at these stats and trying to Figure something out about him was watching Chase Claypool on Thursday afternoon, the Notre Dame receiver. He's 6'4", he ran a 4.43. That sounds crazy great because it is. But it doesn't mean just because he ran a 4.43 and he's 6'4", he's going to be the second coming of Jerry Rice. You hope so. But just because he's fast, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. 
there might be a huge difference between a 4-2 and a 4-5, but it depends on the person we're speaking about. So here's a lesson for you. It's glitzy. It's glamorous. It's a great talking point. But don't overvalue speed. Take it into consideration. But there is nothing. There is not one factor out there that guarantees success that we can actually see. If there was a metric that told us for sure, okay, that guy right there is 100% going to be a success, then that's all we would look for. But people are individuals. The makeup is different. What's between their ears is just as important as how fast their feet move. So when you are evaluating and you're watching scouts, you might be looking at the 40 and getting caught up in it, but know that they're watching tape. They're watching hours and hours and game after game of tape to see what the trends are, not how fast the guy runs. However, for Chase Claypool, if you're 6'4 and you run a 4-4-3, it's not like that's a bad thing. Dude probably did make himself some money. And just for argument's sake, I think Henry Ruggs has the potential to be a superstar. Yeah, he ran a 4-2-7. That's crazy. But if you've watched how great an athlete he was playing basketball and, of course, how he looked at Alabama – this isn't just somebody that's fast. This is just somebody that might be special. If you can find the entire package and they run a 4-2-7, look the heck out. I'm just saying we look at the 40 and we pay attention to it way too often and the combine makes us just kind of our eyes go googly. We start watching people run fast. But it doesn't always necessarily translate on the field. Especially when I give you that list again, which maybe I'll do before the end of the program, of the wideouts that caught the most passes for the most yards last year. Only one of them ran better than a 4-4-2. A lot of them in a 4-5 or higher range, meaning higher in the wrong direction, over par. No guarantees. Doesn't stink to be fast, but you've got to have more than that. Food for thought. We'll be right back. This is a Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. So... Welcome back to the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Bringing you back with the BoJack Horseman theme. That one caught me off guard a little bit, but hey, I put it in the system. I love it. Patrick Carney wrote this one. I actually heard Will Arnett, who of course does the voice of BoJack, on uh, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me yesterday. News right here, just letting you know what, what I'm doing on the weekends. I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. You can find me there. I want to give you a, a life lesson here. And I'm not saying this like from a pulpit pointing at you or anything like that. I was thinking about this in relation to something that happened late last week at the Combine. That being the expected Joe Burrow's not going to throw here. He's going to have his own private workout. And, and I looked at it and I was just like, yep, that's exactly what he should do. I was shocked even watching Jalen Hurts throw. We saw Justin Herbert throwing, and I saw a couple of guys throwing that I just I felt bad for. Here's the life lesson that I got from this. It's probably going to be a good thing for you. If you put yourself into scenarios where you can control or you can manipulate the most variables. And think about that for just a second. The more you can control about a given scenario, the better off you're going to be. If you can control the time, the place, 
the schedule, the personnel, everything, even down to the smallest detail. What you're doing is removing uncertainty. And there's something that is always bundled with uncertainty. It almost always comes along with it, part and parcel. You get one, you're going to get both for the same price. With uncertainty comes pressure and stress. In all the conversations that I've been having recently with my friends, my Christian friends, and just anybody in general, really, one theme continues to arise out of all of it. And it's that we're all seeking maybe more than anything else in this life. We are seeking clarity. We don't know how far in front of us the finish line is. And I've always thought about this as it relates to my job in the past, where I felt like I'm on the outside looking in. I can look down at where I want to be, but I'm just kind of picking and picking and grinning and trying to get where I can. Working to get this show or get this home for my writing or get this gig doing play-by-play regularly or whatever it might be. It's like I could touch it, but I couldn't hold on to it. I wasn't in a position where I could buy a house. I could just merely rent it from time to time. And the problem with living in the world that I lived in for such a long time is that it wasn't that I didn't know what the destination I thought was, was. Like I knew where I wanted to end up. But what I never saw was the bridge that would get me from where I am to where I want to be. That bridge is the clarity that we can't walk with because we just don't know. Whether you're religious or not, that bridge relies on faith. And the faith is just whatever it is that you have faith or whatever it is that you place your emphasis or your hope in. That's the thing that you rely upon to get you there. Joe Burrow, had he thrown at the combine, would have thrown to receivers that were hopefuls to be in the NFL, combine-wide receivers, but he wouldn't have been throwing to the guys that he's used to throwing to. And it would have been in a building he's not as used to, in a situation he's not as used to. Doesn't mean he wouldn't succeed. We've seen many guys succeed at the combine. But if you have the option not to, why would you? Because there's so much lack of clarity here. There's so much uncertainty here. There's so much you can't control. If you can have your own day and you can have the wide receivers from LSU that you know well, and you can set up that workout to be exactly what you want it to be, You can train for it properly, rehearse that thing exactly the way you want it to. You can sleep in your own bed the night before, wake up and go to a facility that you know well. You even know where you're going to eat. You're not in some strange cafe or in some hotel restaurant you don't know as well. Everything about it is familiar. And what's familiar also brings down stress. 
this is a very stressful situation to be in for a young athlete because he is basically auditioning. He is interviewing. He is trying his best. So what I would do, if I were Joe Burrows, exactly what he did. Go through all the medical, do the physical, sit down and do team interviews, do everything except perform. You do that on your own schedule because if you can control that, and not every quarterback has the ability to do this, I understand that, but a lot of them do, especially at these major universities, especially the guys with the bigger names. Why would you throw at the combine? I mean, you would have to have the utmost confidence in everything because anything could go wrong. Could be a great wide receiver, but you just don't know how he hurts and jerks. You don't know exactly when he's going to come out of his route. You, you hope you do. But you might airmail him by a yard, and you never would have your own guy. Live your life attempting as best you can to place yourself into situations where you control the variables, where you can manipulate the circumstances. doesn't mean that his pro day or his private workout is going to be phony or fugazi. It just means He's putting himself in a spot where his stress level can be more controlled and there is more clarity to the situation than there would have been last week in Indianapolis. So Joe Burrow's doing it right, just like many others who will follow suit and, of course, who preceded him. We'll be right back. This is The Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. segment of the program it's a big six here on 104.5 the zone we're brought to you by renters warehouse they are dedicated to putting homeowners on the path to financial freedom through rent estate renting your home without having to do the hard stuff renters warehouse the rent estate company i'm jason martin i'm on twitter at jmartzone ball calls coming up next regular season college basketball soon to come to an end this weekend as a matter of fact auburn will finish it up for the balls you'll hear that right here on 104.5 the zone Tony Romo, $17 million a year. He's staying at CBS. I read a real interesting piece from Brian Curtis of The Ringer, who does just amazing work looking at, at sports media and some of the, I would say, bigger topics and things like that that are out there. And this was you know, right down his alley, exactly maybe what you would have expected from him. But he looks at this deal on a number of different levels and how it's going to affect the media landscape in sports. And it was some things that I had not even thought about before. And one of them is that a side effect is going to be, it's going to make money for a number two analyst role. It's going to put more emphasis on a number two analyst role. And here's what he means by that. He says, quote, in an ideal world, every network sports chief would have a number two ready to be promoted if the number one announcer switched networks, left to be an NFL team president, or simply ran out of juice like Phil Simms. Once upon a time, John Lynch and Matt Millen were solid number twos, essentially their network's backup quarterbacks. What the Romo bidding revealed is that none of the networks have number twos they'd feel completely comfortable promoting because of the money that they were offering and trying to keep their guys CBS has Dan Fouts. Fox has Charles Davis, he mentions. I would tell you Fox has their guy because I think Charles Davis is outstanding. You hear him a lot here on The Zone, certainly on the weekends with Doug Matthews, but Charles Davis is terrific at what he does. 
Dan Fouts is he's fine. I mean, there's nothing like to stand out about him, but he's a backup guy. But Curtis goes on, quote, that's why two networks have bent the knee to Peyton Manning. It's why executives await the retirements of would-be announcers like Drew Brees, Phillip Rivers, and Greg Olson. And why Jay Cutler, whom Fox hired as the number two before he returned to play for the Dolphins, may get another chance at being on a TV show that doesn't star his wife, unquote. I do think it's interesting, and maybe it's going to open up the door. Again, I think Fox has a guy. And if they didn't want to go with Charles Davis, I would grow, I would grab Joel Klatt and see if he was interested in doing the pro game. But the other consequence of this is that the number one guys on the other networks can look at this and try to treat it as if it's the quarterback market after somebody has started making the most money. The next guy wants more. Why wouldn't Troy Aikman go to Fox and say, well, if Romo's going to make $17 million a year, uh, I need a raise. There's also the thought that one of the reasons ESPN couldn't go full bull is because they have so many other guys that already work for them that could then say, uh, if he's your number one guy doing this, well, for example, the great Kirk Herbstreet could just say, I'm certainly your number one guy doing college football, so we need to have a conversation. ESPN has so many individuals that would have a, and I'm not even saying it's illegitimate, a legitimate reason to try to negotiate new deals. And so you're not just paying Tony Romo in this scenario. You're paying Tony Romo and everybody else, whatever the difference is from what they're making now to what they would then want to make. And they could try to leverage their way out and try to find their way to new homes where they would assuredly be paid more. So ESPN could not actually compete in the negotiations in the end for Tony Romo, even if they were just sold that he had to be the guy on Monday Night Football because of what it would have meant for the rest of their own ecosystem and their pay structure. Tony Romo, $17 million. Here's another question for you. Is any broadcaster worth it? And I would tell you the reason why Tony Romo has been as successful as he's been not just because he's entertaining to listen to. Tony Romo has an innate and unique ability to make you feel every day that you listen to him, that you are learning something. Even if he's repeating the same lessons that you already heard from him six weeks ago, we like to think we remember these things and understand them. But every time I have listened to Tony Romo, he has told me something new. And I can look at it after the fact and think, you know, that was pretty basic. I mean, when he's predicting stuff, that's different. But a lot of the stuff that he's telling you is pretty basic. It's pretty vanilla. It's pretty generic. But we still feel like we're getting smarter listening to him. Remember I told you last week that it was the reaction to High Noon being canceled that explained why it was canceled? That everybody said, oh, it's too smart for the American people. Nobody wants to hear that. You want to feel like you're getting smarter along with the people you're listening to. You want to feel like they're talking to you that you and them are standing on the same plot of land, on the same piece of ground, looking eye to eye, and they're having a conversation with you. They're not standing at a lectern five feet above you, not interested in what you have to say. Romo's never come across as superior, which is exactly why we end up thinking that he is. Because we're willing to do that. Because it doesn't challenge our pride. It doesn't challenge our arrogance. It doesn't challenge our ego. Tony Romo doesn't rub it in your face. He's just good at this. He has a reel to him, and he has a polish to him. And he's got enthusiasm. 
He makes you feel like he loves doing this. He loves football. He loves watching football. He loves teaching football. You know who that reminds me a lot of? Dave McGinnis. When I met Dave McGinnis, I didn't know what I was walking into. I didn't know who that guy was going to be. I just knew he'd been in football for ages. But that dude loves football. He loves the business of it. He loves the play calling. He loves the players. He loves the schemes. He loves it all. And you can feel it when you listen to him. And if you're in the room with him, if you're lucky enough to just be in the room with him and be able to fully listen to him, you always, without fail, I don't care who you are, you come out feeling like you knew more about football in that moment than you ever had before. And I think Tony Romo has a very similar quality in the way he broadcasts. He makes you feel like you're getting smarter without making you feel dumb first. High noon and the opinion that these shows were too smart for the audience does the opposite. They tell you you're dumb. That's why you don't get it. Tony Romo got it. You know what he just got because of that? $17 million a year. I wouldn't mind if Dave McGinnis was making, I don't know, how about $17 million a year? I'm kidding. Vol calls coming up next. I'll talk to you tomorrow night. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless and good night from the Music City.